This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Network Asia, and we are powered by Podmetrics. Podmetrics is a platform we use to get all the data we need for our show, from who listens to us all the way to where they are. Podmetrics takes care of all of that so we can make better content for you. You can even integrate Podmetrics with Facebook and YouTube so you can get more data from your live streams. So, if you're a podcaster or want to start your podcast, go visit podmetrics.co and sign up for free. Use our code DOGBEHINDHUMAN. I'm a, I'm a positive reinforcement trainer with both dogs and with people. I don't, right. I don't like to tell people, no, you're doing something bad. Hey guys, you're listening to the Dog Behind the Human podcast with me, your host, Doug Coach Francis. And today we'll be talking about a lot of things about dog training with our guest dog trainer. However, before we talk about dog training, about um, how we can learn from other trainers and their experiences, I would like to talk to you about our puppy kindergarten class. So as you all know, because we are under general community quarantine because of the COVID-19, at least here in Metro Manila in the Philippines. So we are now offering our puppy kindergarten class online. So wherever you are, whether you are in Metro Manila, maybe a little bit more south, somewhere in Cebu, in Visayas, or even as far as Davao, in Mindanao, you can actually join our puppy kindergarten class. And not just that, we also are now offering a dog behavior consult over, of course, the web using our web conference tools. So if you have a dog question that you would probably want to ask me personally, or maybe you have a problem and you want my help to help you address those concerns, you can reach us through our text line at 0917-839-3647 or just send me a message on our social media pages so we can help you out on how to enroll on those programs. So there you go. And another thing, you might be wondering, how do I keep my dogs motivated, right? So that's probably a problem for most of you. And well, we do have our own secret, okay? So one, you have to know your dog, which activity they love doing. Maybe they love to play a ball, so you can use that as a reward. Or maybe they just want to be with you, so you can have that as a reward. If they love going to car rides, you can use that as a reward. But when you're actually training, you can't just use a ball, keep on using a ball. Maybe your dog doesn't even like the ball, but your dog loves treats. So... We actually have our own secret recipe here. Well, not really secret, but we have our magic weapon here. Magic weapon. Rather than magic, okay, it's really about we know what your dog likes. So we actually have a series choice, and these are pure dehydrated dog treats. No preservatives, no salt. No whatsoever, just pure dehydrated dog treats. So we currently carry 
two variants. One is made out of pork liver, and the other one is chicken. All right. So if you're interested in trying out Series Choice Dehydrated Dog Treats, hit us up. You can also follow Series Choice or send a message to at the Series Smile. Okay, so you can also follow those Instagram accounts or just send us a message on my own Instagram account at Doug Coach Francis. All right, so Serious Choice, pure dehydrated treats made with love. There you have it. All right, so today we're going to be talking about dog training with our special guest, like I was saying. Well, our special guest is coming all the way from Auburn, Washington, and our guest she is a dog trainer for Argus Ranch Facility and is also the owner and dog trainer for Dogs Defined. And our guest is Sarah Ford. And let me just give you a quick story about Sarah. Well, Sarah has been a dog lover since she was a young child and took an interest in training when she got her first dog, a Pembroke Welsh Corgi, at the age of eight. After finishing college and pursuing a corporate job in the field of her degree, she returned to her true passion of dog training due to her adopted thigh dog, Pixel, who came to her with lots of issues, including dog aggression and reactivity. She realized dog training was her true calling. Pixel now competes in barn hunt and lure coursing and helps other reactive dogs alongside Sarah by working as a trigger dog during training sessions. After working through Pixel's behavior problems, Sarah became interested in the world of dog sports, namely dog agility. She had added two Border Collies, Quest and Arrow, to her crew. Sarah has been training dogs professionally since 2016 and is an AKC CGC and Trick Dog Evaluator. Her goal is to help dogs and people both understand each other more clearly for a better relationship. She has worked with student dogs from nearly every breed and is very flexible about making sure the training style she uses is a good fit for the dogs she is working with. And now, without further ado, let's call on our guest. For today, Sarah Ford. Sarah. Hi, thanks for having me. All right. Well, Sarah, can you please introduce yourself to our uh, listeners? Sure. My name is Sarah. I have uh, my business is called Dog Defined. It's a private in-home training business. I also teach group classes at Argus Ranch, which is a, a dog sports and training facility in Auburn, Washington. I have three dogs myself. One is my oldest one is a, a mixed breed. And then mm -hmm. I have two border collies. Cool. Cool. All right. Well, Sarah, I understand you're a positive trainer. Is that correct? Well, how would you describe your training style or your training philosophy? My training philosophy is I want the dogs that I'm working with to have fun as much as possible. I want to set them up for success. And I want to make sure that the bond between the dogs and their humans is as strong as possible. So with that, I, as much as possible, avoid anything, any negative associations that the dogs may build with things and opt instead for management so that the dogs can't fail and 
positive reinforcement to reward when they succeed. Cool. All right. Well, I'd, I've been training in the industry for more than a decade now. So how long have you been training dogs? Close to five years at this point. Okay. And can you please share how you got started? What made you decide sure. to be a dog trainer? Or maybe were you doing something else before you just decided, you know what, I'm going to be a dog trainer? I was. I um, I got a degree in college in business management with a focus in information technology. So wow. Very, yeah, very different career path was where I thought I was headed. Out of college, I got a job at a big four accounting firm. I did mm -hmm. data analytics and did that for about two and a half years. Office culture and kind of desk jobs aren't really my thing. I like to be up and moving and talking to people and doing things. So when I got a dog with a lot of problems, that's my, my oldest dog, my mixed breed, who I still have. I worked with a trainer. This mm -hmm. was back when I lived in Chicago. So I worked with a trainer who used positive reinforcement and I totally fell in love with dog training. Up until then, I had kind of, my training style was nothing really specific. It was just kind of whatever I had picked up from watching TV or reading mm -hmm. books or things like that. So not particularly great, but I worked with this trainer in Chicago. He was wonderful. He gave me my start in dog training and I ended up quitting my, my job in Chicago and moving to California and finding a trainer that I absolutely loved on Yelp and asked her if I could be her apprentice. So oh. um, she, she mentored me and, and helped me learn the ropes of training. And then I started teaching private lessons and group classes out there myself as well. All right. Awesome. Well, Puppy socialization. I think this is something that we will both agree on and how important it is for puppies, for pet parents. So I'd like to take Absolutely. your take on it. Um, how important is puppy socialization for you? Oh, so, so, so important. With puppy socialization, I think that one of the things that a lot of people miss out on, especially new dog owners and, and people who especially people too who haven't had dogs with problems before where they think oh all puppies are just clean slates etc is two two major issues one is in the united states especially and i'm not sure how it is in other countries but the culture in the united states is a lot of dogs are public property if you see a dog you can run over and pet it and love on it and it should just be perfectly behaved and love you back and all this stuff so as people are socializing their young puppies, a lot of the times what they'll do is they'll let that puppy see a person, drag their way over to them, or see a dog and drag their way over to them, jump all over them, tangle up the leashes if they're playing with the dog on leash, and get really frantic. And then when the dog is not a puppy anymore, when they get to like six to ten months, then they go, my dog's jumping on everybody, and my dog is, is barking, and pulling towards every dog that they see and all this stuff. And the, the foundation for that was the fact that during puppyhood, they let their puppy pull towards other dogs and pull towards other people and get the huge environmental reward of getting to go and interact with those things. Mm -hmm. So that's one kind of big area that I really wish could be changed for a lot of people, how they raise their puppies to set them up more for success. And then the second area is kind of outdated veterinary information that mm -hmm. dogs shouldn't go outside at all 
until after they've finished all of their shots, or else as soon as they touch the ground, they're going to burst into flames of parvo and die. Right. People get really dramatic about, oh, I can't even take my dog into the backyard because he doesn't have all his shots yet. So mm-hmm. um, I'm, I'm having him potty on pee pads in the house and things like this. And we have to, we have to really think about, like, if, if you think about it with children, for example, children aren't usually done with all of their childhood vaccinations until the age of six. It would be Mm -hmm. absolutely insane to keep a child in the house locked up until the age of six. I agree. Yeah. And I know, I know it's a a different timeline for dogs versus kids, but it's, it's the same thing, just really, really condensed. So it is really important to get puppies out, get them socialized and socialize them correctly during their critical socialization window which usually spans from about three weeks until 12 to 16 weeks. So with that, what I think socialization should look like is it should, it really should be different for everybody. Mm-hmm. My dogs, I want them socialized so that they are excellent sport partners, so that they're really good competitors, so that they're confident hikers, and so that they're good family pets. That's not everybody's goal. Some people mm-hmm. just want their dog to be a good family pet. Some do- some people just want their dog to do sports and don't really care about their behavior around mm-hmm. the house and things like that. So really kind of building a socialization plan that's tailored to the individual dog and going, oh, well, yeah, eventually I'd like to take my dog to an outdoor patio for dinner once COVID's over mm-hmm. um, and, and be able to have my dog lay at my feet while we eat dinner on a patio at a restaurant that's something that should definitely be worked on during the socialization period. And I do it with my dogs. I take them to like a, a Starbucks patio or something like that. We sit there, I bring a mat and a, a nice chew bone for them. And then once I'm finished drinking my water, drinking my coffee, then we head home. So they learn that when we're sitting at a table outdoors, we can just watch people pass. We can watch dogs pass and it shouldn't concern you. So that's one thing. I also take my puppies out hiking, usually a week after their second set of shots. So around that is about around 13 weeks for me. I do an 8, 12, 16 week vaccination program with my dogs. So with that, they're getting really early exposure to trails. I do make sure to keep them away from like abandoned dog poop on Mm -hmm. the side of the trail and things like that. But for the most part, I want them to just get familiar with, oh, hey, when we're on a trail, follow the adult dog. I'll bring an adult dog along who's stable as as Mm -hmm. kind of a role model. Follow the adult dog. Come when called. Play with me when I offer you a toy. And let's do chase games and all sorts of fun stuff. And when bicyclists or horses or new people come and walk along the trail, I feed the heck out of my dogs because I want them to know when new stuff appears on the trail, run over to me and check in with me. So they, they learn that really good recall with distractions from an early age. Thanks to that. And it's just all part of their, their whole socialization procedure. All right. Wow. Pretty awesome. Okay. So we're talking about socialization here. And of course, when we're trying to socialize puppies or any, any dog, uh, uh, any age, there will be a dog or a puppy who's just super scared. Maybe genetically they're scared, or maybe they've had a really bad experience. How do you proceed in trying to socialize a dog or train that dog to just be relaxed and be comfortable if they're just super scared? 
Right. It definitely depends on the age of the dog. So I'm going to handle an adult dog or an adolescent dog or a puppy all differently from each other. With puppies, if they're still within their socialization window, so that three to 12 or 16 weeks, they're a lot more adaptable. They're a lot more absorbent of positive things during that time period. So if I have a puppy, for instance, so take, take one of my puppies. She mm-hmm. was deathly afraid of children in like crunchy coats. So like raincoats and parkas and things like that. Totally freaked out by them um, mm-hmm. when she was a puppy. So what I did is I met up with one of my friends who had kids and we just hung out in the corner of her yard while her kids played in the distance. No pressure mm-hmm. to interact with the kids, but anytime she went over and checked them out, I would either have the kids throw food at her so that they weren't tempting her close to them with the food. They're throwing them at her. So they just become like food dispensers, which is always exciting. Or I would feed her. So they, it was, there's a concept in early childhood play called parallel play, which Mm -hmm. is instead of putting a bunch of children in, in a room and kind of letting them duke it out with nothing for them to interact with, it's, it's usually better to get less antagonistic play if you give the kids all something to do. So coloring books or Legos or Mm -hmm. play structure or things like that. So environmental things that they can interact with. That's a pretty similar approach that I take with dogs, uh, with puppies who are having fear issues or over arousal issues with things like kids or other dogs or things like that, where basically, hey, that thing is in the distance. The kid is in the distance. Those kids are doing their own thing. Don't worry about it because over here we're eating kibble out of the grass and that's Mm -hmm. so fun. Or over here we're playing with a tug toy and that's so fun. So that's how I start to build confidence around scary things for young puppies. With an adolescent, we might be dealing with a secondary fear period. If I have a dog who goes from being totally okay with something to being suddenly super freaked out with it in adolescence, I usually will assume it's a secondary fear period that they're going through. So example of that with my middle dog. He became absolutely petrified when he was nine months old of elderly women in parks doing Tai Chi. It had to be (laughs) all of those things. (laughs) So So those are the uh, triggers. Yes. So it had to be, and it had to be all of those triggers together. He was fine with people in parks. He was fine with elderly people. I didn't see any people doing Tai Chi who weren't in parks. So I can't, I can't speak on that. But it was really that combination of things that caused a trigger stack large enough that it made him fearful towards them. So what I did is I tried working on it with what I'll describe I do for adults, and it was getting worse for him. So I said, you know what? Forget it. We're going to scrap this, and I will come back to it in six months. Mm -hmm. Six months later, we came back. By then, he was out of his secondary fear period. He saw an elderly woman in, in a park doing Tai Chi, and he was like, whatever. That's totally fine with me. Can't phase me at all. So because I just kind of avoided that trigger, that set of triggers for him during his, his secondary fear period, which is really just a developmental stage where puppy brains rewire into adult Mm -hmm. brains and sometimes do weird things. It let his brain kind of mature without being concerned about it during that maturation period. And then he learned that it wasn't really a big issue. So 
avoidance during secondary fear periods is my go-to route. And then for adults who are adult dogs who are fearful towards things. So I'm working with a dog right now on, on nose work and Mm -hmm. she's pretty nervous of new environments and new things. So one of the things that I'll, I'll typically do if I'm working on getting dogs over their fears, if it's environmental fears or things like that, is I'll go to a pretty mild environment, so a park or a field or an empty shopping center or an empty parking garage, something like that, where there aren't going to be a whole lot of things going on. And we'll just sit there for a while, and sometimes I'll feed them treats. But for the Mm -hmm. most part, it's just about, hey, you want to watch the world go by? We're going to watch the world go by right here. You're going to get some food sometimes, and then we're going to go. Simultaneously, I also at home will work on a lot of trick training. Trick training is a really great way to build confidence. So Mm -hmm. kind of teaching them that there are lots of ways that they can earn food from me at home and then working on making environmental situations less scary because they're less novel. They become Mm -hmm. more habituated to them. Once they get to the point where they go to a park and they're like, yeah, we're at the park where we just sit and eat food and do nothing. And this is cool. Then I'll start combining them and go, hey, can you do some tricks at the park? And if you do tricks at the park, then you get such exciting things. But I really take things slow and I really want to work on keeping the environments as mild as possible before I increase in, in environmental difficulty. With generally anxious dogs, so dogs who are, are kind of scared of their own shadow and just as afraid at home as they are out and about, then medication is often a really good way to help the dogs just feel more comfortable with themselves. Some mm-hmm. dogs can fade off of the medication later. Some dogs are do better being on the medication life for their entire lives. But either way, my dog is or my goal is really just to make the dog more comfortable living <laughs> and and right, right. experiencing their world. Right. So you mentioned about medication. I've been wanting to try that route for the longest time, but I just can't get my hands on those medications. And uh, I'm not even, well, I'm not a vet, so I'm not licensed to hand out uh, prescriptions, right? So, um, however, when it comes to those medications, I've had webinars, trainings, I attended uh, all the education that I need to get to know more about that. However, I've never really implemented that. And if you check out the internet, like go onto Amazon or any shipping site out there, they would probably just prescribe some herbal products, those kind of stuff. So I'm just really curious right now, what are those stuff that you're giving as meds? Uh, do you personally prescribe it or do you need a vet I'm, to help you prescribe that medication? I am, so how how does I'm it work? Not a- yeah, I'm I'm not a veterinarian, so I can't give or kind of recommend for certain 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 medications. However, there are a couple herbal supplements that I found work really well for mm-hmm. reducing anxiety in certain situations. So, with reactive dogs, there's a medication or a, a supplement called L-theanine, which is an amino acid extracted from green tea. I've had great results with that with my own reactive dog as well as with many of my clients so that's one that I'll often consider and kind of making sure to get the dosage correct and the delivery method correct is also important as part of that but then if I have a dog who L-theanine isn't working for then usually the the next kind of 
route that I'll take with those dogs is fluoxetine, aka Prozac, mm-hmm. in which case they need a veterinary prescription. Mm-hmm. So for cases like that, I'll basically just say to the client, hey, I think your dog would benefit from Prozac. Go ahead and set an appointment with your vet, ask them about it, see if you can get your dog on that. It usually takes X amount of time to, to, to take effect. And let's see if it can help your dog get past the problem that we're working on. So mm-hmm. it's it's less of me prescribing it and more of me just recommending that people pursue that option with their veterinarians. Right, right. So that's very important for trainers to work hand in hand with our counterparts in the veter- veterinary community. Right. So totally. now we're talking about cases that you've handled, right? I'm pretty sure there are uh, really easy cases and there are the harder cases. Uh, however, in your career, what was, or at least what is the uh, hardest case that you've ever handled so far? That's a, a kind of difficult question. I would say that the hardest the the cases that I find, have the most difficulty with are the ones where owners don't necessarily follow along with the plan that we build for mm-hmm. the dog. All right, all um, right, I understand. So, so cases where owner follow through is not the best, and and they're um, potentially continuing to unintentionally sabotage their dog's progress. Mm-hmm. Those tend to be a little bit more on the challenging slash frustrating side, in terms of like behaviors themselves that were particularly challenging to fix. One that comes to mind was a, uh, a mini Aussie who had a really bad demand behavior problem. He absolutely would not stop barking. And it was a combination for him of excitement and fear. And I want you to throw the toy and I want you to throw food, but please don't touch me. So there were a lot of emotions being built into this. And since barking is an arousal building behavior, It's something where he was just continuing to work himself up more and more into a frenzy. So since his demand barking behavior was so strongly reinforced by his owners in the past, kind of trying to wait him out and then going, oh, he's been barking for 10 minutes. We just need to get him to be quiet and throwing the ball. Mm -hmm. We had a lot of work to, to kind of break down that really strong barking behavior. So with him, what we ended up doing was we taught him a new demand behavior, which he, the behavior he offered the most readily was backing up. So what he would do once we kind of worked through it and, and got him to the point where he was doing his new behavior consistently was when he wanted something, instead Mm -hmm. of barking at the person, he would come up, he would poke them on the knee with his nose, and then he would back up really quickly which it looked really weird, but it was a really clear way for him to communicate, hey, I want that toy that's in your hand. Hey, I want you to toss me a treat. Hey, I want you to pet me or take me on a walk or something like that. And so by giving him an alternative behavior that he could do that got more highly rewarded than the previous one of barking, it gave him a way to communicate with his people that didn't annoy them, that got him better results, and that kind of made everybody happy. So that was a that was a fun one. Are you a big sports fan? If so, make sure to listen to Off the Record with me, Mix Bustos. Together we'll get up close and personal with the biggest names in the sports industry. Check it out after listening to this episode. Off the Record is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and all other major podcast platforms thanks to Podcast Network Asia. Catch you guys on my show. 
All right. So obviously, you've been doing a wonderful job trying to fix those issues with reactivity and socialization. And let's face it, sometimes we get compared to a famous dog trainer on TV, right? <laughs> so my question oh, yeah. is, have you ever been called the dog whisperer at some point in your career? Oh, all the time. Um, and, <laughs> you know, I I have clients who come to me and, and they're bursting with excitement and they go, oh my gosh, you're just like the dog whisperer. I can watch him on TV all the time. And and practice all the stuff that he does with his dogs. And when I hear people say that, as as easy as it is to get frustrated with, oh, they shouldn't be listening to to that person, and and you know he doesn't know what he's talking about and all that stuff. I just appreciate the fact that they are trying. They're trying to do their best. That's kind of how I got started was was watching shows like that. And so I work on kind of gently trying to point them in the right direction and showing them, oh, hey, if you want your dog to stop doing something here, you can do this instead of making a sound and jabbing them in the neck. So um, by kind of gradually showing them, like, let's do this instead and see how it works with your dog, I find that it has better results with people who enthusiastically are, are trying to you know, make the comparison between me and, and celebrity trainers and things like that, then going, Oh no, don't compare me to him. He's bad and evil and hurts dogs because (laughs) I'm a, I'm a positive reinforcement trainer with both dogs and with people. I don't, I don't like to tell people, no, you're doing something bad because Mm -hmm. then people go, Oh no, I don't want to tell my trainer anything now because she's just going to criticize me and tell me (laughs) I'm bad. Um, Right. So gentle redirection um, and praise when when people get on the right track works really well. Right. Yeah. So for the listeners in this podcast, guys, all right. So we're not trying to diss. Uh, let's just say the name because you everybody knows him. <laughs> we're not trying to diss Cesar Milan or the his prodigies or whatnot. We're just educating people of uh, how we do it and how we prefer to do it. Right. And well. I'm not sure if you've noticed, but I've been following his work. I mean, he is a great guy. He is still a great person. We might have differences in training style, but one thing that I noticed is his style has changed tremendously when he he first went out on TV. He is actually changing into a more positive approach of training dogs. And I just find it really just amazing um, that, hey, it's catching up, right? So there's the movement coming on. And... Hopefully, he can also help probably promote what we do and at least how we prefer to train our dogs. We're not saying, guys, that he's totally wrong because punishment does work, right? Let's, it does. let's face it. it. Punishment does work. However, if you're going to be using punishment as your baseline, then definitely there's going to be a problem in the future. It will have its drawbacks, right? It's like a ticking time bomb, as uh, most trainers would say. All right, so so there you go. So you've been called uh, that name. I've been called that name, and that's why I changed the branding into Dog Coach Fran- Francis, which is my name, because I believe that what we do is really more on coaching people and their dogs and how to live a healthy lifestyle, how to have a perfect relationship, and try to understand each other. Right? Okay. So totally. All right. So if you were not a dog trainer, Sarah. 
right? Mm-hmm. So giving your background, if you were not a dog trainer, you never got into the dog training business. You, you're still a dog lover, but you never really went into the dog training business. What do you think you'd be doing right now? Probably some sort of at-home data analytics job where I could be home with my dogs and then I would be a weekend warrior agility, agility competitor. So <laughs> I'd practice in my backyard and then go and compete on weekends. I did I did start getting into dog agility back when I did still have my data analytics job. So it's mm-hmm. something that I, I was able to kind of balance to some extent when I had that previous job. But I wanted to have more time to focus on my dogs, more time to spend. Well, at that time, I only had the one. So more time to focus on my dog, more time to spend with her, and then more time to be able to work on on fun activities with us together. Cool. So, cool. yeah. I'm probably be in the field working as an engineer. That's how my life's going to be at. But anyway, so as a dog trainer, uh, we all know that it, well, Uh, most dog trainers would say because we love dogs, we're very passionate about dogs, and that's why we stay to be a, a dog trainer and choose to be a dog trainer. My question is, what do you think is the most difficult part of being in this profession that we are both in? Oh, man. Uh, I mean, I kind of touched on it earlier. I would say one of the hardest things is is clients that don't want to follow through and clients mm-hmm. that don't necessarily help their dogs succeed was mm-hmm. is one of the hardest things another hard thing is is when you're starting out it's tough you know the money doesn't come in right away it's not mm-hmm. like you you say hey i'm a dog trainer one day <laughs> and then suddenly everybody's lining up to get their dogs trained it still is is a service that a lot of people see as an unnecessary luxury rather than a requirement so mm-hmm. a lot of folks will kind of suffer along with behavior problems because either they don't have the time to work on fixing them or they don't have the money to work on fixing them or they don't even know that they can be fixed. And so kind of as part of that, a lot of what I try and do is kind of educating people like, hey, you know that thing that your dog does that drives you mm-hmm. insane? Well, I can help you fix it. Or, oh, you you just got a puppy? Like, I can help you set up foundations for your dog so that you don't run into problems later. So kind of getting the word out there that dog training is something that really can improve the the bond between a dog and their person and isn't just something that you need for like if your dog is attacking people or if your dog mm-hmm. is attacking dogs is is something that can be a challenge sometimes. I would say that the the other challenging thing is I like to send really thorough emails to kind of review with with what I've covered with clients and things like that and you know mm-hmm. it's it's part of what I I have a love-hate relationship with it I I enjoy <laughs> being able to share materials and resources with my clients but sometimes actually going and and sitting down at my computer and working on those emails isn't a fun thing so that can also be a challenge well with the COVID pandemic going on all right so um, the whole world is affected And it has affected uh, trainers around the world, um, other pet professionals in our field. So how how do you how are you coping with the pandemic? I mean, how are you still teaching? I mean, what's what are the mitigations that you're trying to do to limit the impact? That's a great of question. Mm-hmm. 
I am offering virtual private lessons through my business, Dog Defined. So with that, I'll, I'll set up a call with a client and instead of me driving to their house like I normally would and doing lessons that way, what I've been doing is we go on a call, we spend the first portion of the lesson talking about any issues that they're having with their dog that they wanna work on. So mm -hmm. better focus or having their dog not run away from them or dog reactivity or things like that. I go over some of the exercises that we're gonna do and then I will grab one of my dogs and show the exercises. So I'll demo mm -hmm. the behavior and how to teach it with one of my dogs. And then I'll let them practice with their dog and kind of coach them through it. So, oh, hold your hand a little bit differently here. Oh, you should be timing your yes for a little bit earlier. Oh, you should be feeding them in this way to help them them learn a little bit better. And so it's it's not quite the same as working with clients in person, but it's something that's allowed me to still be able to, to work with people and see people even despite the pandemic. And one of the additional benefits of it is that I'm now able to work with clients from all over the world instead mm -hmm. of just ones that are local to me. So that's one thing. And then Argus Ranch, which is the place where I teach group classes at, they also offer online classes. And so I'm teaching two online classes right now through Argus or uh, yeah, that's part of Argus Ranch as well. Mm hmm. All right. So we're talking about the pandemic and about dogs. Have you have observed an influx of aggression cases um, during the lockdowns? Um, what do you think is the effect to the dogs because of the lockdown, because of the pandemic that's going on? I would say it's affecting dogs in a few different ways. One way that it's affecting them is with dogs who are already struggling with reactivity. It tends to make it worse because of the fact that now everybody is home and everybody is out walking their dogs. And so there's been a, a rapid increase in the number of triggers that are present for reactive dogs. So mm -hmm. reactivity is tending to become a greater struggle for a lot of dogs due to that, especially if they live in an apartment too. Can't really fully escape like a dog in a, a regular house would be able to because they don't have their own yard. So that's one thing. Another thing that I'm seeing is an increase in separation anxiety since people are home more with their dogs. Their dogs are getting used to staying home with them. A lot of the dogs are getting used to, oh, my human is home all day and never leaves. And uh oh, they're leaving for the grocery store. They must be leaving me forever and never coming back. So it's getting a lot of dogs really used to spending 24 seven with their people and not kind of getting any breaks from their dogs or from their people. So with my own dogs, I'm, I still am keeping a pretty similar routine to what I usually do. They, they're in and out of crates all day. I leave the, the house sometimes so that they're not getting used to me being home, even if it's me just leaving with one of my dogs and going for a walk and leaving the other two home so that they can go, oh yeah, it is still fine when person leaves and it's not the end of the world. So that's kind of something I've been doing to stave off separation anxiety developing. And then with some, with puppies especially too, because of the pandemic, kind of same thing as I was talking about before socialization, a lot of people are going, oh, well, I can't go and socialize my puppy because we have to do social distancing and they can't say hello or I can't go to a puppy class for them to socialize. And so a lot of dogs or a lot of, of young dogs are just staying home 
instead of getting out there and experiencing some critical socialization experiences. So, but there's, there's are plenty of things that can be done at home to work on socialization as well. So yeah, I would say those are the biggest things that are, are coming out right now. Good stuff. So my next question is how important is the quality of the puppy or uh, the dog wherein let's say you, you have a, first-time puppy owner and they're thinking of uh, what dog to get how do they get it where do they get the, the puppy so what's your take on it well how do you recommend or do you give any advice to first-time pet parents about getting puppies good question i absolutely i am a big proponent of responsible breeders and responsible rescues not everybody wants to go out and and find a responsible breeder and all that stuff. Not everybody wants to wait. Not everybody wants to pay the the higher prices that mm -hmm. responsible breeders charge. And so I'm totally pro if people want to go to a shelter and find a dog there, that's awesome. Kind of going along with that, some some dogs that come from shelters don't necessarily have the the best raising procedures associated with them. So especially with younger puppies. Young puppies aren't as much of blank slates as a lot of people think. A lot of behavior is genetic. A lot of behavior also has to do with the the damn, the mom's stress levels during mm -hmm. pregnancy and during nursing and things like that. Those That cortisol, the stress hormone, can be passed down to the puppies and cause some long-term behavior changes with them as well. So kind of taking into account those things and making sure that people understand that a, a shelter dog might not necessarily be as predictable or as versatile as certain other dogs. But not everybody, again, needs their dog to go out and be a, a sport dog superstar. Not everybody wants to go hiking every, every day or every weekend with their dog. And so if somebody's just looking for a nice family pet that's going to hang out with them and be good with their family, shelter dogs are totally a good option for that. However, if people have situations where they have kids or they have specific goals for their dogs, they want to go hiking, they want to do agility, they want to do therapy work, things like that, I, I do tend to recommend finding a responsible breeder and going that route for for situations where you have specific goals mm -hmm. um, just because it gives owners a higher chance of achieving and succeeding at those goals so I have I mentioned before I have my my oldest dog she is a meat trade rescue dog from Thailand she came to me with a boatload of behavior issues and a lot of those behavior issues actually stem from a physiological physiological issue which she has a kind of messed up neck and so that causes a lot of of fear related to that in terms of handling and in terms of dogs approaching her it also makes it so that i can't do certain sports with her because it hurts her so because of that her background and her life before she came to me kind of made it so that we can't reach the goals that now i have with my dogs so now I went out and got two Border Collies from absolutely wonderful breeders. They have mm -hmm. rock solid temperaments. They are happy to do any sport that I throw their way. And they are all of the things that a Border Collie should be. They're, they're weird and funny and, and engaged with me and 
love to play and love to work. So there you go. There you go. You know what? That's one dog that I would really want to have soon a border collie. I would like to challenge myself and then really push myself in, in terms of training all these wonderful behaviors. But I do have a really smart golden retriever right now. At some point, we were able to do TV and a movie together. At least she was the star and I was just there in the background. That's but awesome. Anyway, <laughs> yeah. So, um, but I would like to really challenge myself and then get a goal. Um, well, get a border collie at some point. But again, you're right. Um, it's so hard to find those reputable breeders and there's a higher chance that if you just buy it off from the internet, then you're just going to end up having a puppy milled uh, dog, right? So I think that's a big problem, not just here in the totally. Philippines, but anywhere in the world, as long as there are dogs and there are people who want to have dogs. you We just really need to be very scrutinizing about the breeder. We need to just really make sure that they're reputable and they have a really good breeding standard. All right, so moving forward, so when it comes to the, well, what's next for you? Uh, I guess that's my question. What's next for you, Sarah? I mean, you're doing uh, obedience now. You're doing socialization. For... You just started uh, agility. What's next for Sarah Ford? I would say kind of drilling in with my own dogs on on focusing on getting them some titles. Once shows start opening up and being safe again, I'd like to get some more agility titles on them as well as nose work rally disc obedience are kind of where we want to get started with barn hunt as well as something that we're working on so that mm -hmm. would be my goals for my personal dogs in terms of goals from a, a business side i would say just kind of getting my name out there and getting more local clients is a, a current goal of mine i i just moved to Washington in February and started my own business when I moved. And mm -hmm. of course, the timing worked out that as soon as I got here and started my biz business, boom, coronavirus hit. So oh. it kind of hindered my ability to be able to work with clients in person. So as things start to settle down, which unfortunately, I don't think is going to be for a while, especially here, as things start to settle down, I think that working on marketing and working on on really kind of getting my name out there so that I can network with people locally is going to help so that I can get out and help more owners and their dogs in in my area. Mm -hmm. All right. Maybe a final word. Um, what's your do you have anything that you want to say to the public, um, whether that's going to be here locally here in the Philippines or and um, even for maybe locals in Washington or Filipinos who's also living in Washington looking for a trainer. What's your general advice? Sure. I would say that, that my general advice is dog training should be fun. If you're training your dog and you're not having fun or your dog's not having fun, try something else. There's always ways to, to kind of adjust your training and make it easier for you or make it easier for your dog. But it shouldn't feel like you're trying to, to push a giant boulder up a hill or something like that. It should mm -hmm. feel fun and ideally easy as well. So the more fun you're having, the more success you'll, you'll typically have with your dog. So, yeah. <laughs> All right. Good. All right. Well, um, okay. For my final question, and uh, this is 
because it's the name of the show anyway. But um, in your journey or your career as a dog training professional, there must be one dog that has changed your life. So I'd like to know for you, who is that dog behind the human? I would say the dog who has changed and influenced me with the most has been my most difficult dog, which is Pixel, my meat trade dog. She, when she came to me, she had issues with handling. So she would, she would bite people if they touched her in a way that she didn't like. She had a lot of issues with dog aggression and dog reactivity. So if she saw other dogs, she'd shout and, and bark and growl and lunge and among other issues, she had other issues as well. So having her be my, what I call my crossover dog, where she took me from using harsher methods like choke chains, collars, to using more positive reinforcement. She's been really influential on my training journey, and I would not be where I am today without her. So as much as she sometimes still is a a pain in my neck and, Mm -hmm. and keeps me on my toes with some of her antics, a wonderful dog to live with and a wonderful dog to learn from. So I, I can't thank her enough. All right. Well, I'm pretty sure, I'm (laughs) pretty sure she loves you back and good luck in, um, on your journey, moving to Washington and then starting all over, wishing all the best for you and uh, health for you and your dogs. Thank you so much for being on the show. Maybe you'd like to um, share your details on how people can can get in touch with you. This podcast is going to be broadcast and uploaded on different uh, podcast platforms. So maybe people would be interested to get in touch with you if they're looking for a trainer in Washington. So please, your details. Tell us your details, please. Sure. You can go, you can find me on my website, which is just dogdefined.com. You can also find me on Instagram, on YouTube, on Twitter, on, uh, and on TikTok. I make a lot of free short tutorial videos on TikTok. Um, and I'm working on getting a, an Insta or a YouTube channel up and running a little bit more, uh, thoroughly than I already have, mm-hmm. but I'm, I'm always happy to kind of help people out and if people want to reach out and get some help with their dogs i am happy to connect with them all right awesome i'll i'll search for your social media account and be sure to follow all right thank you so much for your time sarah i really appreciate it um we'll talk to you again i'll keep in touch sarah thank you so much perfect thank you so much all right have a good day bye you too And now for the Barking News. Orlando Bloom reveals his dog Mighty is missing. In an article posted on People.com says that Orlando Bloom is searching for his canine companion. On Wednesday, the Carnival Row star, 43, revealed on his Instagram that his dog, Mighty, is missing after the pooch was last seen in Montecito, California. Asking his followers for tips on his furry friend's whereabouts, Bloom said that Mighty is chipped and his collar has a number to call. If you take him to your local vet or shelter or police station, he can be traced back to me for a reward. Bloom added a note urging fans to please only send real info 
explaining, my heart is already broken, so please don't add insult to injury. From the dog behind the human, we hope Bloom finds his dog mighty soon. On another news, in an article posted on sfgate.com, mock funeral for dog held in South Korea on Dog Meat Day. Seoul, South Korea, activists wore dog masks and held a mock canine funeral during their protest against dog meat consumption in South Korea on Thursday, the first of three dog meat days in the country. Under a traditional calendar, Thursday is thought to be the first of the three hottest days in South Korea. Many South Koreans believe that eating dog meat on those days give them strength to beat the heat. At one protest in central Seoul, about 10 activists held banners that read, There are no edible dogs in the world. The banner had images of fresh fruit that the activists said South Koreans should eat on the three days instead of dog meat. Earlier Thursday, about 20 other activists held a similar anti-dog meat rally nearby. They bowed and laid white flowers before a framed photo of a dog in a mock funeral for the animal. The activists raised placards with the image of small dogs confined in a cage and the words, Stop dog meat. The dog meat is neither legal nor explicitly banned in South Korea. Dog meat restaurants are a dwindling business as younger people find dog meat a less attractive dining option. Pets are growing in popularity, and a survey in 2018 indicated that about 80% of South Koreans had not eaten dog meat in the previous year. Many people still oppose outlawing the consumption of dog meat because they view it as a surrendering to Western pressure. Some older people believe that dog meat enhances sexual stamina. And that's it for the Barking News. This is Francis. And now for the dog code of the day. They, dogs, never talk about themselves, but listen to you while you talk about yourself and keep up an appearance of being interested in the conversation. Jerome K. Jerome. And that's it for today's episode. Please don't forget to follow us on our social media pages like Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. Just search for Dog Coach Francis on those three platforms. Aside from Spotify, you can also catch The Dog Behind the Human on other audio streaming platforms like Anchor, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Breaker, Pocket Cast, and Radio Public. Again, this has been your host, Dog Coach Francis, and like I always say, keep healthy, keep safe, and don't forget to pet your dog. <laughs>